We're back, and you are with VillainCast, BJJ Antiheroes, with myself, Chris the Villain Pains. Weekly podcasts featuring either my fellow black belt, Naki Arshed, on our show Reap the Week, or compelling interviews with other personalities across jiu-jitsu. But before we jump into this next show, a thank you to our Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to receive these episodes one day early, along with exclusive video content and online coaching, you can find out more via chrispainsbjj.com or join our Discord channel to put your ideas through for future episode discussions. For now though, enjoy the show. So good morning uh, to to yourself, Rob. Um, oh, to me it's good morning, to you it's good, good evening. evening yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so one of us is going to sound a lot more fresh than the other. Um Obviously, uh, you know, people who listen to this know I'm, well, due to the accent, I am English, uh, which means that I am eight hours ahead of Rob. It is 5 a.m. Uh, for myself. Um, thank you to agreeing to this. Uh, you are a highly decorated uh, coach and competitor. You've been around in the jiu-jitsu game a while, but due to uh, probably most of my listeners being uh over this side of the planet um would you like to introduce yourself please sir uh my name is rob bernacki uh i'm a third degree black belt uh i am part of the coyotera association my gym is called island top team uh and i run bjjconcepts.net which is an online academy that oddly enough uh mostly focuses on teaching people concepts or conceptual jujitsu and how it can be applied overall to uh you know technical growth i don't just sit there and like explain concepts to people there's a, a ton of technical information on the site uh, and a ton of technique information i think we're closing in on 3000 videos uh, so there are obviously a lot of technique videos but they're all fed through a filter uh of a a fundamental set of concepts that i uh, teach and preach and uh any technique or any any uh, approach that you see on the site will be filtered through those concepts and I also do some work with Stefan Kesting, which is probably how, if anybody's heard of me, they've probably seen me on YouTube doing videos with Stefan Kesting from grapplearts.com, where we've done a series of instructionals together. That's pretty much exactly uh, how I uh, initially um, learned about you. So through, uh, you know, my, I, I had to learn mostly via YouTube uh, prior to, to getting any sort of actual coaching uh courtesy of uh Preet Mikkelsen um and yeah it was via casting uh and when when I started to get a bit more notoriety due to the the content I was putting out uh your name started to come up alongside and I was like oh damn if I'm if I'm in the same kind of conversations as as Rob Benaki and Stefan Kesting I'm like I must be doing something Either really good, or people have no idea. Like, have, are really misinterpreting what I'm saying because I'm not on the same same level as those guys. Well, you know, it's <laughs> funny because when I first started coming to uh, some level of notoriety, I got a lot of comparisons to Ryan Hall. In fact, somebody, some commenter somewhere, called me the poor man's Ryan Hall, which I was like, well, I'll take that. That's a pretty great compliment because uh, I really look up to Ryan, and he was a huge influence on on my teaching at the beginning. So. Uh, yeah, I think I, I always say like we we all stand on the shoulders of giants. So, yeah, I I, I kind of always joke that I might discount Preet. So, <laughs> yeah, there what, you go. 
because obviously he's so busy. I'm like the preet you get like from Wish, like the preet you already have at home when you can't get the real thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll live on that if that's fine. You can have the big seminars, and I'll I'll take the garden sheds and stuff like that. Well, I think I think your accent sounds a lot better. Don't tell him I said that, but. <laughs> Yeah, there's no way he's going to listen to this. So I think we're, I think we're good. We're safe, okay. <laughs> um, so you obviously, yeah, you're you're um, you're very much into your concepts. But what kind of brought you to that? I mean, you know, history of of jujitsu teaching uh, has never been that concept heavy. It's always been a lot more about technique and and and. Um, following the set patterns that already existed like you know first first guard you learn is close guard um what caused you to go down the the path you're currently on what was the the catalyst uh i mean i guess the the, the simplest answer would be autism uh <laughs> I I'm, uh, i've got you know enough elements of that in my person like my brain works very well in terms of viewing systems understanding systems but also breaking systems uh, that's kind of the lens through which I see the world. And uh, uh, until I saw jujitsu explained in a conceptual way, uh, it, there was always kind of like, it was it was hard for me to fully access it. And I uh, saw some of Ryan Hall's material, as I mentioned. I also saw some of um, Damian Maya's material. He had a great instructional back in the day called Science of Jiu-Jitsu. Um, and despite his like not like amazing grasp of the English language, he still did a really good job of conveying uh, some concepts. I, I actually would love to learn from him in Portuguese, or maybe nowadays his English is a lot better uh, because I think he would be an incredible guy to have a like conceptual jujitsu discussion. But basically, I got exposed to those two things, and that kind of got me uh, like if one, it got me to see that there are other like not. Uh, incredible physical specimens, guys who weren't in, like amazing athletes. And I hope I'm not insulting Ryan or um, Damien by saying that because, you know, like obviously they're fantastic athletes with great achievements, but compared to uh, somebody like Marcelo Garcia, who is obviously an incredibly gifted, explosive athlete, uh, these are not guys that are winning because they're, uh, you know, they're super muscular or they're super explosive or they're super fast. They're winning because of uh, immense technical ability and obviously incredible uh, understanding of how jujitsu works on an underlying conceptual level. So that was really where I drew a lot of inspiration from is like if these, you know, more nerdy guys can be really good at jujitsu, um, maybe I can too. And maybe I can uh, bring some of my own uh, sensibility uh, to the table as a teacher, as an instructor in helping popularize conceptual jiu-jitsu and uh, create some terminology and uh, some systems and some games. That, the, the other thing that I think that uh, I was you know, hopefully at the forefront of is that, which is becoming a lot more popular in these days uh, is the idea of using like gamification to help people learn uh, and I'm, I'm more known for the conceptual stuff, but I think that uh, our system that we, uh, of gamification that we call fuck your jiu-jitsu um, was also a pretty uh, uh, like you know early adopter kind of approach in the in the jiu-jitsu sphere. So weirdly, you should say that. So the uh, the last um, I, I recently had on 
uh, a couple of other guests, uh, Rob Cole and also uh, Greg Soders. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's wildly into that style. So I'm, 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 it seems like I've got a, a pattern emerging of, of people I'd like to speak to. Um, yes, completely. And I'll, I'm definitely going to come back to the, the gamification. Um, yep. Because there are some... some because uh, I'm very much um, diving into that exact uh, style as well. I mean, maybe not uh, purposely, but maybe more accidentally. Um, but first and foremost, then, so you, you, you talk about BJ Concept. I know we I asked this before I started recording uh, eight minutes ago, and I was like, yeah. you, you made a, a brilliant little rant, and I was like, fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> like, this is supposed to be just hello. Um, so... <laughs> What would you define then as a concept when it comes to jujitsu? Um, like I said, just we we are very much a young sport when it comes to explanations. Um, especially I say over here, uh, where we may still be in the very technical approach. You know, the the start off with a position, set up, finish, um, just going down the the bread and butter explanation of what is happening that's it uh what would you define then as a jujitsu concept uh yeah so i mean a concept in the, in the dictionary definition is an abstract idea um but i think we all in jujitsu kind of use the term concept to describe uh what would probably more accurately be called a principle in scientific terms there's a lot of crossover with these um these terms so uh i like to use the term concept to describe uh, anything that is based on uh, sort of like Newtonian physics, so where, where there's a universal application of it, that without that application, your your task in jiu-jitsu will be either difficult or impossible, at least against a good grappler. Um, and I know in a lot of uh, popular understanding in the jiu-jitsu world that there are concepts that are a little bit more um, vague. Uh, so... You know things like head position or hip height, or the the term uh, connection, which I kind of like. I shit on it a little bit because I think it's too vague in uh, a lot of applications to be usable or actionable for most practitioners. Uh, and I just think there are better uh, physics-based ways of describing. So I don't think the the overall concept of connection in how it's applied by the experts like if you're Hicks and Gracie or, or, or somebody of his lineage or you're somebody uh for you know uh, I know SBG uses it quite a bit uh I don't know if they use that exact term but I know there's a derivation of it and like all those guys that use it are using the concept very very well I just think that using the word by itself and not having more in-depth definitions, uh, it might be suboptimal for some learners. So I gravitate very much towards um, biomechanical terminology, uh, which I think most people in jiu-jitsu will understand through the terms base, posture, and structure. So one of the first things I try to do is give very specific um, uh, definitions for those terms and then use the term alignment to just... Uh, create a catch-all term that describes having effective base posture and structure uh, and then I talk about frames levers wedges like you know simple machines basically uh, and we talk about things like momentum and center of gravity again it's like basic Newtonian physics that if you have a good understanding of this uh, you can apply it in 
so many more ways than you could apply a memorized set of techniques. So a, a notion that you can carry with you that applies across a uh, like you know the full spectrum of doing jujitsu. Like I, I often say, like I'm, I'm okay at jujitsu. Like I'm a pretty good black belt. I wouldn't say that I'm shitty, but I'm certainly. You know, like I, I, I would say I don't belong on the mats with some of the people that I've trained with. And despite that, I've been able to be, you know, more effective than I definitely would have otherwise been by simply focusing on like just the underlying concepts, just the underlying movement patterns of what you're trying to achieve in jujitsu rather than being like, let me try to do this move on this world champion. Like that's just not going to work, but I'm able to have some level of effectiveness, at least in training against really good grapplers by just focusing on very fundamental movement patterns and Newtonian physics based concepts. I agree completely. Uh, Weirdly, um, I've ended up going down uh, very similar routes purely. I think just by accident, it was a, interesting speaking to sodas and him giving um uh, literally the the scientific reasoning behind a lot of the stuff i was doing i was like oh i it's just accidental he was like well no it's funny you should do it then um and one of the initial spiels i give to people when they when they join my club is this idea that this isn't necessarily a martial art in the martial arts sense it is an expression of science of biology and physics um and uh you know from obviously everything's an expression of of biology and physics but um you know boxing is except this is a this is how we're going to look at jujitsu as in everything has a biological and, and physics based reason now if we talk about pressure you know the the amount of weight i can put into a small area is going to create psi Pounds per square inch, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when you know we talk about um, putting pressure on people, it's going to be from this completely physics-based um, understanding of right. I want to maximize the amount of weight I have in a small area of my body. We then go to the biology part, which are the sharpest parts of my body: you know, corner of my hips, corner of my shoulder, elbow, corner of my knee. Um, instead of spreading my weight over large portions of my body, you know, and then relating that into a more obvious, um, and if I say to someone, if I give you a thumbtack and a, uh, a coin, and I told you to push them into the mat, so which one pierces the mat? It's going to be yeah. a thumbtack. So do you want to be the, the coin or do you want to be the thumbtack? Both of us receiving the amount of same weight behind them, but one is going to pierce the ground. Um, so it's weird that, you know, because it was, it was, actually one of your your uh, videos on alignment um that i've i remember saying the exact same thing like you know if you're if you're lifting if you're doing bench press it's funny i think you use shoulder press in your example and i said yeah. well if you do bench press and you're you're you know you have to fully align your posture you have to you know you go through a a um you know you you clench your your thighs you you make sure you're your back is in a correct positioning, your neck is straight, um, and that can then maximize your power throughout the lift. And if any of those, that chain is broken, um, the lift isn't going to work uh, or not as effectiveness. And so then it's it's manipulating that from a aggressor's point of view of, right, if I'm attacking someone, I'm a, I know that person is 
com- very strong compared to me. If I can just take their spine out of alignment consistently, um, I can lower their their return attack power and and hopefully survive this mountain of a human. Um, so again, it's it's, it's fascinating um, hearing a, a lot of the things you say. And so going from that, then is um, how do you relate? So obviously, you know, someone walks into jujitsu on the on their very first day as a beginner. Uh, all they've seen on on YouTube or on UFC is just chokes and guards and slams. Yeah. Um, where do you start then with introducing uh, your style of coaching and your style of jujitsu to that beginner? How do you initially get them to relate? So what I try to do. Uh... Because, like you said, the majority of people, if they've seen jiu-jitsu, they've seen it through the lens of the UFC. Uh, and so I actually do use that as part of our introductory processes. We, we always sit somebody down. We don't have somebody just come into a class cold. We sit them down and do an intro. It usually takes about 20 or 30 minutes. And we just talk about this stuff. So I, I want to introduce them to alignment base posture structure frames and levers i just want them to have those ideas because i want them to think of their body in those terms and i want them to think of their opponent's body in those terms and so the first sort of uh, but if i just hit them with that right away that feels like it's and i used to uh, that feels like it's a little too um like if, if you're an engineer or you're you know scientifically inclined then it's great but if you're just kind of the average person who doesn't have a real, um, uh, you know, the, the science doesn't hold a lot of appeal, the, the terminology doesn't hold a lot of appeal, it can be a bit cold. So I usually try to start out with uh, um, a chess analogy. And I actually don't like the whole like jujitsu is human chess because I think it's a, a bit of a bad analogy. But basically what I tell them is like what you've seen of jujitsu is basically the checkmate. You know, what you mostly are seeing in MMA, what you are associating with jujitsu is it's chokes, it's arm locks, it's leg locks, it's the stuff you use on the ground to finish people. And if you play a game of chess, you're not just putting people in check all the time. That's not how it works. You've got an opening game, you've got a mid game, you've got an end game, and then you've got a checkmate. And most of jujitsu is opening game and mid game. And very little of it is actually end game and checkmates. So if you're coming in here thinking after one week or one month that you're going to be like cranking off arm bars on people, you're going to be really disappointed and you're going to kind of like hate this because anytime you come in with a, an expectation that gets disappointed, you know, quickly or drastically, it, it changes your perspective towards the activity. Uh, so I try to just convey that to them right at the beginning is like what we're going to teach you first is how to control your own body in a way to optimize your potential to generate force. And what we're going to teach you second is how to control another person's body in a way to reduce their ability to generate force. And when you can safely control your own body and someone else's body, then we're going to start teaching you how to break that person's body. Because even if we could get you to successfully do an arm bar in your first class, we wouldn't do it because it'd be like handing a monkey a handgun. It's like, you know, you hope it doesn't know how to use it, but God help you if it actually does. Because you don't want a beginner with poor control to be cranking on people's elbows. So that puts people a little bit more at ease because then like one of their main fears is I'm going to walk into this club and someone's going to break my arm like in UFC. And so now they know, okay, I'm going to go through a process where I'm going to learn these things about how my body works, these things about how someone else's body works, and there'll be a process before I get to choking and arm locking you know people or myself 
where there's a, a, a priority on safety, there's a priority on understanding movement, and that puts people more at ease, both in terms of whatever their intimidation factor was in attempting to learn jiu-jitsu for the first time, but also in terms of like not really understanding the conceptual underpinning of what we do. So it gives them both of those things and allows them to go into a class without feeling like they got dropped into the deep end of the pool right away. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of glad this is my podcast because I wouldn't feel so bad about saying this is what I'm about to say. But it's very much like a Pornhub approach to jiu-jitsu. Not yours, but as in the, the normal <laughs> approach. As yeah. in, um, there has to be a finish uh, to every... <laughs> Every um, and that's yeah. that's what that's what people are interested in. They're interested in the finish, and to the point where they'll skip the video to to get to the finish. To, to, yeah, um, and very much as a as a junior coach, um, that's how I taught jujitsu. There always had to be a finish um, to to what I was teaching. And you know, if you're going to do any class, okay, it could be a sweep or a pass, but there had to be a submission on the end of it. There had to be that kind of like you know condensed down. Uh, you know, right here's the beginning, uh, here's a, here's a, posh, uh, a position, here's a setup, and here's a finish. Um, and I think that became very conditioned. Like, you know, the, the gyms I'd go to or um, the videos I'd watch, there'd always be a, a finish to it. Um, and so stepping away from that, which is something that I've been very much focusing on myself recently, is this idea that. Um, you know, I can't remember the last time I, I taught submissions in class. Um, like I say, it's a very small part of the actual game, like the the checkmate, as it were. Um, yeah. But dominance, like yeah, look how to to defend, how to keep yourself safe, how to deny, um, and then how to go for dominance, and that kind of shifting in perception uh, for someone of going right. Actually, if I'm <laughs> If I just focus on the finish all the time, um, I'll rush to the end. And there could be plenty of story I'm missing. Um, and a prime example is in, in especially at low-level you know, white belt, blue belt competition, is that when you've kind of been conditioned to expect, uh, to, to want to get the submission as fast as possible, especially when you're in that kind of frightened environment, um, you'll throw away good position uh, for bad submissions. For bad submissions, yes, um, yeah. And it's it's funny that you know it's it's one of those old tropes in jiu-jitsu of position before submission, and you know you hear it all the goddamn time. Um, and it was always seemed like quite obvious to me. I was like, well, yeah, you need to get a position before you can get a submission. That's that's yeah, fine. But it wasn't until it was written on the inside of one of my geese. I think it was by ninety three brand, and I was just looking at the inside of it one day, and it had a position above submission. That's mm-hmm. how it was written. Um, I was like, oh. Oh, choose position above submission, as in always choose dominance over the finish and maintain dominance throughout the finish. Oh, oh, I, I get it now. And so a lot of times then, like, if I was to, uh, I think I was actually Ryan Hall doing a breakdown of Roger Gracie saying that you know, he always used to finish from mount. And you know, if he was to, to lose that, that cross-collar attempt, he still had mount. Like, yeah. he hasn't lost dominance at this point um and so that then made me really want to like push this idea that right okay we'll take out this idea of the finish like um let's let's focus on dominance 
let's focus on the rest of the game to a point where we almost like you know don't talk about the finish for for, for a while and and try and step away from that perception of this is the most important part of jiu-jitsu and it was funny like, i had a a new person start at my gym um not too long ago and they were taking the side and they were showing multiple submissions and i was kind of called over and like, oh chris we show we show this new guy uh arm triangle and i was like no i'm not like well why i was like because it's pointless because the details I'm going to give him, he's going to forget by the time he walks out of this room. And the chance of him actually finding it, he isn't going to find it for ages anyway. So by the time he even does find it, if he does remember the details, I, I find that very unlikely. Yep. We don't actually teach submissions. So we, I, we, I, we have uh, 101 classes, we've got 201 classes, and we've got skills development classes. Skills development is... Uh, um, self-directed learning like I don't teach anything in that class people just show up with material they want to work on and I just come around and help them out um, our 201 is where we do all our advanced guard work back attacks uh, passing submissions and then our 101 is our fundamental movement patterns your basic guard retention basic passing basic sweeping uh, top control or you know positional control so mount back etc and escapes uh, and in that class, which people will be in for about three to six months before they will uh, have the option of moving into the 201 class, uh, we teach one submission, which is the rear naked choke. And on occasion, we'll teach the arm triangle. But mostly it's just the rear naked choke. So you really only learn that one submission because that's the submission that you can get only if you have dominance, right? Like you can't flash rear naked choke somebody you have to work your way if you're on bottom you have to get onto their back from you know an arm drag or something or you've got to sweep them you've got to pass them you've got to expose their back you've got to get on their back so you're learning how to exert positional dominance we like to use the term instead of submission over or position over submission we say alignment over everything uh, because I can have a, a good position on you and I have bad alignment and you'll escape right away. Um, or I can have uh, you know a, a, a good position on you and have really good alignment and you, if have, you've got bad alignment, you will never escape. It doesn't matter how many escapes you know because until you fix your alignment, your body's not powerful enough to do the escape. So we focus on that idea uh, like over everything. And then we focus on the idea. We use the, the concept uh, or the term that we use to describe this concept is we say staying behind the defense. Once you get past somebody's defenses, i.e. their guard or whatever dominant position or whatever submission control, your job isn't to finish them. It's just to stay behind their defense. Uh, and so if they never fully regain their defensive positioning, you will finish them eventually, whether it's from the back or the mount or the whatever. What we don't do is sacrifice the the dominance, the positional control, like in, in any of the um, you know positional sparring rounds that we do. Uh, for instance, from the back, if we're sparring the back, I always tell them you can go for any submissions you want from the back, but if you have the back and then you end up on bottom guard because someone turned into you when you went for a submission, every time that happens, you got to do ten push-ups at the end of the round. So we really incentivize people to think towards the or to, to prioritize, emphasize uh, the idea of dominance leading to submission, like cornering people, escalating your control so much that there's there's no way they're going to get out. You're either going to submit them or you're going to keep a dominant position. Which obviously, you know, my my background is is via Preet uh, so I met him as a as a brown belt and I very much fell in with the defensive BJJ cult um, and, 
and I said I'm probably one of the more OG uh, people out there. You know, I, was, I think I was his first international black belt, um, and it was one of the things that initially when I I met Preet was uh the denial of the of the armpit space um yep. keeping your elbows uh, attached to your legs essentially you know running man hawkins you know early hawkins um and initially putting that into the gym meant that for the first 6 months none of us could find submissions it became the most boring place on earth <laughs> because our understanding of of defense about you know we we obviously you know, you do stuff correctly by accident, as in you you'll get into someone's armpits via side control, high mount, and maintain control. Uh, but then having it denied to you, I mean, as, you know, I still go around the the world doing the the defensive postures, and it's all my favorite things to dick with people just by gluing my my elbows to my legs and keeping my alignment, and watch them look at me like, why aren't I winning? Like, I've passed your legs. Why aren't I winning against you right now? Why? And, you know, especially when I can turn my back and people will go for my neck and not be able to finish the naked choke. You know, the angle will be off. And the look on their face, like, you know, have you got gills? Like, do you breathe out of your <laughs> asshole? Um, this makes no sense. Um, and essentially, that's one of the things that we found was that, you know, uh, when the control was denied to each of us, um, we respected it a lot more when we finally found it as in if it felt so hopeless once it was taken away from us we'd want to keep it for as long as possible so as soon as the armpits were exposed it was like right we're keeping this we're keeping um you know funny when you talk about alignment i call about the the three rotation points of the spine the the head hips and and shoulders Mm -hmm. if if one of those is uh pointing in a certain direction that's the only direction that person can take if two of those things are pointing in different directions, then they're kind of fucked uh, unless yeah. they break one of them off. Um, and so that's how I kind of refer to, to major positioning of, you know, once you've passed uh, the... Uh, so <laughs> um, Christian Graugart, the the head of BJJ yep. Globetrotters, used to do a class many years ago, I'm slight sidetrack, called G-Spot Passing. Um <laughs> <laughs> which was he referred to as your guard spot, which is your kneecap. Like as soon as you pass on's kneecap, that is like the last uh, moment of the guard, as it were. You know, guard is essentially being south of the kneecaps. Um, so you want to control someone's G spot. And I did a, a seminar on this in Denver uh, last year, and you know, it was about thirty, forty, fifty people in the room. I can't remember. And I was talking about right. This is the G spot. This is the part where you need to control. This is where you don't want another man on your G spot. Uh, not realizing there may have been a couple of like younger, like you know, ten or eleven year olds in the room, and um, I got a text off the head coach later on that evening saying that one of the students had gone home to his mom and goes, "Mom, mom, I know where your G spot is. It's your knees." Um, and um, I said this on the podcast recently, and I'm like, "Oh, that is that's made my life." Uh, that the the disappointment this this man when he grows older is going to well, create that's what i was gonna say you just unintentionally <laughs> made the world's worst lover forever right like <laughs> some woman's gonna be very disappointed yeah. um so, so yeah controlling someone's uh g-spot as it were uh and then exposing the armpits um keeping someone like you know 
flat, you know, if a man is, is, or if a person is flat on their back, they aren't getting up. It's why, uh, you know, every style of wrestling, every style of grappling throughout all of human history always hit the same conclusion. A person on their back is done. Um, funny how they've all hit the same conclusion. And then um, maintain control of the armpits, maintain control of the, the either end of the spine and use those three rotation points to put the spine out of alignment. Um, that is major positioning, uh, and then flicking to something like an armbar or a leg lock or any of those things require going to minor positioning because you're no longer controlling the majority of that person. You're now controlling a minority of uh, a core joint, a positional joint, which is usually the closest one to the core. So for an armbar, it'd be the shoulder. For a leg lock, it'd be the hip. Um, maintain that's the the, the new control the new positioning and then going through uh the again like you know i think lachlan giles said it really well of i'm not breaking a bone here like get that terminology out of your mouth uh i am if it's affecting a joint it's affecting ligaments like i'm not yep. snapping your forearm um so don't well, call unless, that you're, unless you're frank Mir, and then you yeah. are snapping someone's forearm. yeah yeah, yeah. 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 but <laughs> <laughs> i'm not built like frank Mir. and <laughs> <laughs> um and most Let's of change. us don't wear a steel cup when we do jiu-jitsu, so those are two advantages that are taken away from us. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so it's it's very much a similar kind of approach of um, if you're going to go from a major position to a minor position, you may be giving up that dominance you have. And if it's taken you this long, especially if you know someone who's got good defense and is denying you, doing a very good job of denying you access to, your arm, to their armpits... Um, you may not have another shot, so you have to make sure your transition is tight from the major control to the minor control, and still control. Don't you know? Don't rush the finish. It's only through panic and lack of control that you're gonna throw that armbar on fast and potentially injure someone. If you knew that a person couldn't escape because your positioning is so good on the on the shoulder, would you rush the armbar? No, no. So maintain the control, and that's probably the the initial i say because most people come through via um maybe an mma interest or somehow maybe joe rogan uh and that gets their initial jiu-jitsu interest going and i think there's that, that ingrained expectation uh that grappling to a layman is uh not that complicated looking like it looks possible uh and there's maybe a, an uh ingrained part of uh, a psyche of like i should be able to do this i should be able to look after myself i'm a grown adult um <laughs> which then does not happen and they want to know you know now they're in this sport how do i win i want to give me the win give me the way of making this work for me it's like well you're not going to find it anyway um let's readjust your expectations and think right i want you to be able to look after yourself first deny it makes you a, a, a useful person to us if you just deny us control because then we have to hunt you as well, um, and then maintain dominance. Like I said, main, you know, maintain uh, your control. Like I said, but uh, stay behind their defense. Do not let yep. them get their defense back. Um, if you can be yep. consistent with that, if you can stick at that and adjust your perceptions for long enough. Well, and the interesting thing about that is that even though, like, we are not a submission focused uh, program in, especially in the initial stages. So, like, you know, if you, were your, if you go to your average jiu-jitsu school and you train there for one year, you will probably have learned a, a dozen submissions, maybe more in that time. 
And if you're at my club for one year, you know, you will have learned a rear naked choke, an arm triangle. You you may have learned an arm bar. You'll probably learn how to do a leg triangle. You might learn one leg lock. You'll definitely know how to do a Kimura control, but you might not even be doing the Kimura as a submission. Um, And yet, despite that, all of my like white belts and blue belts have an extraordinarily high finishing rate or submission rate in competition. Uh, because exactly of the reasons that we've discussed, like they're, they're trying to get to a point where they can control you enough that they can definitely get that finish. And my personal like submission rate in competition is quite high. Uh, and you know, not that I'm a guy who's like hunting submissions, uh, in the conventional sense. It's just that I'm looking to progress my control in a way that creates opportunities for submissions. Uh, and those opportunities are a lot easier to exploit if I'm not just tr- like, it's a lot easier for me to triangle someone if I just go about messing with their base a whole lot and get them to plant their hands somewhere than it would be if I just go out there and start throwing triangles up at people from the bottom. Because if they're black belts, they're just going to laugh at me. But if I can kazushi them all over the place, fuck with their base, get them thinking that I'm trying to do this, that, or the other thing, then when they post in response to that, I'm going to triangle them. And that's how we approach submissions. Which I think, actually, I stole that, uh, that exact same idea off Ryan Hall uh, with his hip bump triangle video from about... That's the genesis 13, of the idea, yeah. Yeah, 13 years ago. Um, and uh, that idea that, you know, we're, we're all human beings and if you, you fuck with our balance, um, doesn't matter if you're a white belt or black belt, we're going to put our arms out. And yeah. it's that exact same idea of, I, I've kind of like, you know, morphed over time with the explanation that uh during a fight we we are conscious important you know uh effort is going towards the fight with the other person and breathing and balance is kind of running in the background uh and we don't really think about it and as long as nothing's affecting that we don't have to think about it but as soon as either of those things gets fucked with uh they become the most important thing compared to that fight like if i was to say to someone, right, I will shoot you in the head if you put your arm on the ground. Like, <laughs> if you put your arm, I will shoot you. Like, okay, I'm going to die if I put my arm out. And then I push you. Like, it's going to take an awful lot of brain power to not put your to arm not. out. Yep. Um, and exactly, like, if I can just keep doing that in the fight, like, just keep unbalancing you, making you put your arm out, yep. I am going to be second on your uh, list of... of priorities to deal with yeah. um well the, so the the phrase that we use a lot is i just tell people your job is to fuck with the other person so like when you're playing guard you're, you're not trying to sweep them you're not trying to submit them although obviously that is ultimately where, where you're trying to go but your job is just to fuck with them constantly so a they don't think about passing your guard and vice versa like if you know if, I, if i've got a dominant position on you my job isn't to submit you it's to fuck with you whatever you feel like you need to be where you want to be, I'm just going to fuck with that. And that can mean breaking your posture from the mount. It can mean breaking your structure from side control. There's multiple ways of doing it. But if that's if I'm constantly engaged in that, you're just you're never a threat to me no matter what's going on because I'm just putting you off balance. I'm taking away your posture. I'm taking away your base. I'm taking away your structure. And in that, I will find something I can do to you. But if I'm just trying to grab you and do something to you without that, I'm not going to succeed. Exactly, exactly. And funny you should mention that as well as in this. Um, again, it's 
from from a from a junior perspective, junior coach's perspective, and you know, as I was coming through, it was very easy to to get stuck in a loop of demonstrating your worth by showing new stuff every session. As in, I'm the smartest guy in the room. Uh, here's some new stuff. Here's a new setup. Here's a new pass. Here's a new submission. Um, and it's it's something that I I still do notice. You know, I I, I look look after various gyms and I visit various gyms and that can form part of the curriculum is that there has to be something new every class instead of just coming back to those those core concepts repeatedly and um you know maybe it's some sort of of attention deficit problem we have of you know oh no no show me new shit this class and if you're just trying to stick it no we're just going to do the same shit every day for months like we're gonna look at just dominance of posture we're gonna look at you know uh, maintenance denial of control um that's it and and you know good good fundamentals look like advanced technique so you know boxers have been doing the same five punches for forever and um they don't get bored maybe they do i've never asked them um <laughs> but we'll we'll keep to we'll just do this um i want to go on to the, what you mentioned about gamification which is something yeah. that i i uh was was erring towards uh, but I think the problem that I found was it started to just devolve into just sparring again. So I'd be interested in like, so how how have you started to implement gamification and and why into your teaching? So uh, this, uh, you know, part of this was it, it, this. It's I've been doing it for so long that to give an honest answer as to how exactly I came about it is probably going to be a bit of confabulation. Uh, I was a, prior to opening my school. And becoming a you know full time business owner and yada yada, I was a voracious reader. Um, so I would and and I and I didn't really like reading novels, which meant that I read a lot of nonfiction, a lot of science, a lot of that kind of stuff. So I was fairly well versed at the time with uh, you know some degree of sports science, psychology, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm you know I try to stay kind of current uh, on it, but. Uh, Basically, uh, you know, the one of the um, I know I can reference two books for sure that were very influential. One was um, a book called Chaos by James Glick, which is about chaos theory, and another one was um, the uh, it was um, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, uh, and both of those included kind of like um, you know seeds of that so certainly in the in the Gladwell book uh, he talks about how um, one of the ways that the uh, Brazilians were so good at soccer oddly you know nothing to do with jiu-jitsu here but it's because so many of them played a game that was a you know a, a derivation of soccer but it was um, yeah, played in like indoors in a, in a smaller like gymnasium facility and like the walls were live and they got a lot more practice time with um you know ball handling and trick shots and stuff like that because there weren't as many players i might be slightly fucking this up but the essence of it was this is a version of soccer but the rules are slightly different and you're exposed to different movements and you get to focus on different movements and i, I definitely looked up some um you know, sports science stuff. And, you know, the, I think the, the term that we would hear used now would be constraints-based learning. Um, and so way, way back in the day where, you know, we're talking 
I opened my gym in 2012 and I was already using these methods before I opened my gym. Uh, and this is what I call fuck your jiu-jitsu. And so what I find, <clears throat> because when I, when I say fuck your jiu-jitsu and I briefly describe it to someone, they're like, oh yeah, that's positional sparring. I'm like, no, it's really not. Positional sparring is a completely different thing. And it's like you said, it games tend to devolve into sparring very quickly and positional sparring devolves into sparring very quickly. So the idea that I thought would be super useful was if you create very specific rules and you really take the winning and losing part out of it because as much as you can tell people, oh, jiu-jitsu's a game or oh, it's just sparring, oh, it's just practice, the, the folks that train will, it'll devolve into hard sparring way too easily because and this is another tangent I, I'm happy to explore as um, the majority of people who do jiu-jitsu don't compete so for most people practice isn't practice it's the game they go there and they want to count wins and losses because if you don't compete then practice is everything so nobody wants to spar lightly because if they spar lightly and they explore new things they might lose so I really thought it was beneficial if I could convey to people through the game that like this this has nothing like you can't win this game. Or if we create a win condition, the win condition is so restricted that you have to be super playful to even get to that win condition. So the the, the primary example that I give is fuck your jiu-jitsu sweeping, where the rules are that as the top player, I have to walk forward and give my partner a guard of their choosing and allow them to try and sweep me. In other words, I, I can't intercept, I can't strip uh, their hooks, I can't uh, like undo their guard in any way, and I can't pass. So I'm not allowed to progress through their guard and I'm not allowed to run away from their guard. I have to stay in the pocket and allow them to attack me. And then once they're engaged in the attempt to sweep me, that's when I can start deciding how much resistance I'm going to give. So I can make it very difficult for someone to sweep me by going through um, the process of denying upper body grip. So, you know, if you put me in a, a De La Hiva guard, but you never get my sleeves and you never get my collar, it's going to be a lot tougher for you to sweep me than if I just let you grab my collar or gra grab one of my sleeves. So that's the first point where you decide how hard this is going to be. You know, like when I do this with white belts, I give them both my sleeves or blue belts and even some purple belts. When I do this with higher belts, or, you know, experienced purple belts, better brown belts, black belts, I probably don't want to give them both my sleeves because then it's just an instant sweep and there's nothing I can do about it. So we're trying to create a game where there's a, there's a certain amount of skill development for both parties. If I'm a black belt and I'm doing this with a white belt, I can still increase my skill level by just giving them more uh, of the control they need to sweep me. And so I can either active post to deny the sweep, I can you know switch my base to deny the sweep, uh, or I can give them a lot of grip. And then once my butt hits the ground or my shoulders hit the ground, I can now start really trying to resist the sweep, no matter what, whether it's a white belt, blue belt, or whatever. You can get my butt to the ground, that's fine, but I will not let you complete that sweep for free. So I'll try to pop back up, technical stand-up, four-point, whatever, uh, and get myself back into base. I might, at that point, strip your control of one of my limbs 
and you know limp leg out limp arm out whatever try to regain my base so you as the guard player are developing how to organize a guard how to transition from one guard to another how to connect sweeps together how to increase your control until you know you can knock someone down but then most importantly as relates to higher level competition how do you complete a sweep against a skillful resisting opponent because most people doing jiu-jitsu especially those who don't compete once they go down they just stay down and play guard whereas when you compete nobody willingly stays down they fight tooth and nail to not get swept that's the biggest difference between competitors and non-competitors so we want people to develop the ability to sweep someone and keep them down and complete that sweep despite resistance Uh, so that by creating enough rules and enough incentive uh, and, and also just the culture, like part of the culture of our academy is if you try too hard to keep things from happening, we make fun of you. You know, like we say, oh, you're trying to win the drill. And we call it taking your ball and going home. It's really easy to defend stuff if you're only ever trying to just defend. You know, like I've rolled with blue belts that I've only tapped twice in one round. And I've rolled with purple belts that I've tapped six or ten times in one round. And it's not because the blue belt was better. It's because the blue belt literally didn't want to move at all. And I use the tennis analogy here, you know, like if we have a rally and we hit the ball back twice and I don't score on you, that's not that impressive. If we hit the ball back 50 times and I don't score on you, that's impressive. So like with the blue belt, we only had 10 movements in the round and I tapped them twice. Whereas in the with the purple belt, we had a hundred movements in the round and I tapped them six times. So like the ratio of submissions per movements is vastly different. So we want to encourage people to explore movement and develop skill through that. And when you combine that, that ethos with the, the rules that we establish in the, the constraints for fuck your jujitsu, you have a game that's highly productive in developing skill over time. Which weirdly enough so that's the the issues that i was starting to to hit myself of you know positional sparring and sparring is you know it's, it's a uh, ingrained part of, of how we approach jujitsu and then we have the super compliant drilling phase and like there's nothing in between and so i was trying to find the the most efficient way of of getting the message across that we're not we're not competing and so the the method i kind of ended up doing was this idea that when we're learning that way you have a we're not in competition with each other you have a a puzzle maker and a puzzle solver um Mm -hmm. so same thing like you know i can create the constraints of the drill such as you know person on top uh you are trying to get past the other person's knees person on the bottom you're the the puzzle solver in this exchange you're the the winner um you have to deny someone going north of your kneecaps. Um, puzzle maker, uh, you either add complexity or you add intensity. You do not do both at the same both. time. And if yeah, you that's add, an excellent way of putting it. If you add complexity, you remove intensity. Uh, you have to restart the intensity. So if we're just doing like, you know, if you're going to start low and just hand fight, um, then that is a certain level of complexity start with a low intensity build up the intensity over time until we reach a point of failure and so that person knows the the level of intensity that they can operate at and then stay there give them time to work on solving those problems don't just 
you know, do, um, your goal is to make your partner better, not prove that you're better than your partner. Um, mm-hmm. And then once you've kind of established, you know, a good level of learning there and you, you know, the moment you maybe start getting bored, right, change the complexity. Now I'm going to start from standing. This is a completely different mechanic. I have to restart my intensity and allow them to explore that complexity. Is Again, like your job, a person making crosswords isn't in competition with someone who is solving crosswords. They're in competition with <laughs> yeah. other people who make crosswords to make better crosswords and educate. I mean, I use... Uh, Video games, because I, I, I'm still a painful nerd in that regard, um, is this idea that, uh, you know, a computer game level creator isn't trying to compete against someone who's playing the game. They're trying to educate that person through game by introducing enemies and different mechanics over time. Um, yep. This isn't multiplayer. Multiplayer would be the same as sparring. Uh, this is level design. You know, if I I am educating you through level design, so then you can complete, play the game in multiplayer later on, um, and so that's then how I I then form the drill. So then you are within those constraints, solving your own problems. And uh, again, it was it was actually when I was at Ryan Hall's gym back in uh, middle of last year, watching a lot of how he taught was was everything had a recall moment of right. This is the concept that underpins this of what we're doing right now and so every game and every puzzle has to be right this is the reason this is the recall and so anytime i need to coach someone the recall is there like um in a recent competition i could just go recall on those moments and there's a through line from from drilling to sparring to competition they're not i said i it was funny that you mentioned about standing up is that in in uh regular sparring of people who don't compete is that people won't try and stand they want to play guard yep. it's rolling um but that is becomes theater then because then you have no actual experience holding dealing. someone down yeah. yeah exactly uh and so you're you're you know you're there you're drilling you're sparring your competition are three different martial arts um and to expect to do well in each one when you actually haven't done it is um, which is funny, like you know, people say, "Oh, I want you know, I'm running a competition class." Oh, cool. What does that look like? Uh, well, it's just more intense version of rolling. But it's like you can run as hard as you want in the wrong direction. It's still the wrong direction. Like, yeah. do the right thing all the time. Don't make it that you you know, just change the intensity. Then every session can be like a competition session because you're just doing the right thing. Um, so yeah, that's the. It was funny, like again, like you know, it's wanting to do, you know, learn through through self learning, as in solving your own problems and and building those kind of pathways in your head of right, right. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing um, through increased complexity, like you know, right. I'm solving my problems because of this, because of this recalled uh, concept. Um, mm-hmm. But it, like I say, you know, some people just want to smash the ball and go home. Um, yeah. It's like, well, well, you're not in competition with your partner. Like, lower the complexity and low the change, low the intensity. If you're going to change the complexity, you're the puzzle maker, you're the level designer. Your job is to educate. Like, when I stop speaking, you're the new coach. Educate them. Um, and so I think, especially with gamification, because like you know, like I say jujitsu sparring is a game, and yeah. positional sparring is a game. But it's not a game in the sense that we're competing against each other. Like, I am creating games for you to play which is very different 
That's an excellent way of putting it. I'm actually going to steal that, just so you know. <laughs> be my, like, I'd be honored. But please, if you're going to make a video, like I'm, you know, I'm still begging on the streets for for attention right now. Um, please reference me. Oh, of <laughs> like, course, of course. I, mean, I, I was I was joking when I said I was going to steal it. Uh, but I mean, you know, I, oh, I, I, thanks. I, I, no, no. I mean, when I say steal it, like that, that, I would steal it in the sense that, like, I'm going to use it. But I'm joking about the idea that I wouldn't give you credit. Uh, I, if, if anything, I'm like a scrupulous um, credit giver to the point where it can be obnoxious in some of my instructions. Like, I got this from this person, and I got this from that person. So, yeah, oh, you, you will absolutely receive full credit for uh, for that. It's a bibliography. Like, it's it's how you should do everything. Like, you reference your sources. Hundred um, yeah, percent. Yeah, I, I do the exact same. But yeah. It can make classes three times as long because like the bibliography is insane. Like, yeah. Especially if you learn a lot of what you do through YouTube. It's like, God, I'm going to have to bring in like a sheet of paper to make sure everyone gets the right credit. <laughs> um, so again, it's, it's, I think that was like, so that's going to bring me kind of on to uh, my last couple of questions is yeah. um, doing this change. Like again, like, uh, so my, my history in jujitsu is that I am self-taught. So, um, I, my, my coach left, uh, after the first six months and, um, you were that difficult to deal with, huh? Essentially. <laughs> yes. Um, and so they, I made the joke. I mean, it's not entirely, you know, true or, or untrue, but I was the, I'd been training for about six months at the time. Uh, there was other guys in the gym who'd been training like three or four or five years. Um, and the the gym owner basically said to me, right, you know, Chris, you're you're pretty much the only person who can read here. Um, can you look <laughs> after this place until your coaches come back? Um, I was like, what do I do? Like, oh, just read and keep doing triangles. Um, and so I was put in charge as the caretaker. In, you know, six months of experience with guys in the room had done three or four years at this point. But because it wasn't a like a normal jujitsu gym, it was basically submission wrestling. And by that, yep. it was neck cranks and canopies. <laughs> yeah. And that was the only guard pass I was ever taught. Um, and so I pretty much had to figure my own way out. And this is still very early in the YouTube days. So this is like 2009. There was Submissions 101 and, yeah. <laughs> and casting. Um, and so, and maybe some privately hosted things in various places or books. Uh, that was the other one, like uh, Eddie Bravo's books, Jiu-Jitsu University, some of Greg yeah. Jackson's work. Um and so that's so I had to you know anytime I learned about drilling it was going to different gyms you know down in London where that was the majority of black belts existed um and so one of the main problems that I've had over the years then is that you know that's how I initially saw jiu-jitsu from these black belts of you know and revered them because they were they were still few and far between back then um that's how you drill. And so now to go completely away from that, and this is like hopefully to, to anyone listening is, is you know, if you're having the same problem, wanting to get into this, but being scared is how did you, did you have an anxiety moving into changing up how you teach? Like it scared the shit out of me in that I don't want to fuck up my students. I don't want to like do something drastically different to the norm especially in the area and oh. it'd be fu- just wrong and like you know they they, they want to succeed and they want to understand jiu-jitsu and then they get smoked it's like well my bad 
Um, well, so uh, so honestly, no, I had zero oh. <laughs> fears about that. Um, well, oh, and, oh, fuck well, that then. Well, well, no, but let me tell you why. Because uh, it, it, you know, it didn't come from like a point of like foolhardiness or, or, or arrogance. It was just that before I taught this way, um, I taught myself this way. So like, I went through a period where I was. Um, um, like you know, I I did a lot of no gi, I did a lot of MMA, uh, but I didn't do jujitsu in the gi, and so I wanted to uh, get my black belt and teach jujitsu, uh, like Brazilian jujitsu in the gi. Yada yada. So I focused entirely on gi training, um, and I got my black belt in a fairly short period of time um, by basically creating a system for learning, and I followed that system myself. And I got pretty good results. Uh, and when I moved to the place that I'm now, which is you know uh, Vancouver Island in Canada, um, uh, as a I was only the second black belt on the island, and I uh, because the last two people that whose academies I visited prior to establishing my own academy were Marcelo Garcia and Ryan Hall, I thought I was pretty shitty. Um, but then I trained with like more normal human being black belts and I realized that, oh, no, I'm actually pretty good at this stuff. Um, and so I just, a lot of confidence just came from the fact that if I can, as a guy who's been doing gi for a very short period of time, be able to be effective against black belts who've been training in the gi for 10 years because of, or longer because of this, uh, conceptual system and these games because before I ever taught anyone how to do fuck your jiu-jitsu I was doing it in my own training I would do versions of it uh, to try to develop my own skill when rolling with people that I was better than I would do versions of it when I was injured to develop skill and be able to continue training to work around injuries so I just had a ton of confidence that if this method worked for me and I am a garbage athlete I'm not fast I'm not explosive I'm not strong um, and I'm not particularly injury resistant so like I'm not unathletic like to the average human being I would probably appear athletic but to real athletes uh, I am you know <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a weak nerd that's that's the that's what I bring to the table is I can think my way through uh, a match I'm not going to beat anybody on, um, on on explosiveness or any of those attributes so if I can take someone like me and give myself uh, a skill set in such a short period of time, uh, then I knew it could work for other people. Uh, and so I had that confidence going in, and then I had the opportunity to do it because where I moved to, I was the only black belt for 100 kilometers. So if you wanted to learn real jiu-jitsu, you had to come to me. If I had opened a school in Vancouver, let's say, where there were dozens of black belts, uh, maybe not dozens back then, but certainly several, um, and I tried to teach the way I was teaching and it was so different, then maybe I wouldn't have had that same confidence because I would have known that, you know, if somebody gets bored of what I'm doing, they can go down the street to another black belt. And then I would have maybe felt pressure to do things in a more mainstream way, um, even though I would have believed very firmly that it was an inferior way, there's still the, you know, like the, the best product doesn't always rise to the top. That's a bit of a myth, right? Like there, there are always, um, you know, 
luck of the draw opportunities, things like that, that will occasionally allow a product to monopolize, even though it's an inferior product. It's like the, 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 the QWERTY keyboard and shit like that. That it's like, it becomes a standard, even though it's objectively a worse product. So like the standard of how we teach jujitsu, which is jumping jacks and shrimping and then three random techniques and then roll became the monopoly on how you teach jujitsu, despite being an objectively garbage way to teach. So that was where the the lack of confidence or the fear could have come in. It would have been more that I would have worried that people will gravitate more to the mainstream way, even though I know this way is better. Not because I'm some fucking genius. It's just that that's what other real sports do, right? Like jujitsu is not a real sport. It's getting there, but it's still not taught or practiced like a real sport. And so if you just look at what, you know, boxing and judo and wrestling and how they train and how they teach, all of these things are there. It's not like I invented anything. Uh, I may have come up with specific like constraints to create games and I may have come up with a taxonomy of concepts and techniques and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I didn't come up with like the best way of training. Other sports have already done that. So I think I just had a lot of confidence based on that and just knowing that the way jiu-jitsu is taught is pretty shitty for the most part and I just thought I could do better. And because I was in a small town and I was the only black belt, I knew I could run this experiment and people had to train with me and I got to do it and it worked and then here we are. So yeah, sorry, I had like a very opposite experience to you. No, I I completely understand that. And again, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So the... Uh, when I was first coming through, um, there weren't really any black belts uh, around Stafford, uh, where I'm from. Uh, the nearest black belt kind of hub was Braulio Estima. <laughs> um, yeah. And his uh, cabal of black belts that came from his lineage. Uh, so it's very much a, a Gracie Baja town around here. Yeah. Um, and so to step away from the Baja method, uh, which again would be the mainstream, uh, very different, uh, shall we say? Um, and yeah, I completely agree. The so when I first tried to learn about uh, competition nerves, the amount of um, information in the jujitsu sphere was was low. Uh, so I went to NFL. I, I went to where money is. Um, yep. Because that's where you're going to have better coaches, uh, and they're going to have a better understanding of dealing with with pre pre game anxiety and um, those kind of of, of problems. Uh, and yeah, I, I, we are it's we are a martial art that are trying to be a sport, a combat sport, and very much stuck in the the martial art way most of the time. Um, I mean, good God, we still bow when we walk in the room. <laughs> And you know, so been... you know what's funny? I tried to eliminate. Like at one point, I had a vote at my school. I was like, "Listen, guys, I don't like traditional shit. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't really feel comfortable with this bowing stuff." And the almost universal response was, "Can we just keep the bowing? Because yeah, it's so informal in every other way. It's just going to become a fucking frat house if we're not at least <laughs> bowing at the start and at the end of everything. It's like let's have some formality." Otherwise, it's going to degenerate into orgies or some shit over here. So, uh, as much as I don't like bowing, I, I'm uh, bowing. I'm bowing down to the democracy of of the club where the people wanted to keep it. See, that's that's your mistake. You're, you you've allowed democracy. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, weirdly, so uh, like, there's you know going to enough gyms where there's the 
the lineage is in in photo form on the wall yeah. and i i have made the joke that one day i'm going to put up preet's photo and mine and make people barter <laughs> photos of me um <laughs> and, and that's the day it all caves in um <laughs> so it's 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 fantastic hearing these ideas and where would you say then i um as a final point saying that you know it's it's when you're surrounded by mainstream it's hard to step out the mainstream what would be the where would you say uh trying to find the best way of wording this how do you advise people to break the mold then as in you know anyone listen to this and they're stuck in the shrimp jumping jack three technique and a soda um way oh, of sparring yeah yeah well um, i mean so honestly nowadays it's not such a uh an, an onerous task to try to break away from that i think we are moving away from that right like five years ago there was next to no well 10 years ago there was really next to no conceptual jiu-jitsu out there five years ago there was there were a few people, you know, like you had mentioned Kid Dale and Nick Gregoriadis. I started putting material out with Stefan, I think, in 2015. So we're talking about eight years ago now. Uh, you know, Danaher started putting more stuff out a few years ago. There are certainly more sources for, uh, you know, conceptual approaches to jiu-jitsu than there have ever been. There are more, so, you know, uh, Preet's quite popular. There are different, uh, you know, great... Greg, well, you know, um, when, when you've got a hashtag that preach shit, you know that it's, you know, you're getting somewhere, right? Um, you know, Greg is certainly making a name for himself with this stuff. So there, although I think he's more about the, you know, the, the, the nonlinear gameplay approach than he is about the conceptual stuff. But still, like, there are places that you can go um, where, like, this is, it's part of the, you know, the zeitgeist. Um, like, I remember when one of my students, in Vancouver, who runs a very successful academy now, when he tried to organize, this was years ago, he tried to organize a, um, uh, like a, an instructor, uh, a seminar for instructors. And he opened a Facebook group with a lot of the instructors in the area. And, um, and they all, you know, there's, they were all on the chat and he started it by saying, you know, I've learned a lot from Rob and I, and, and it's really evolved my way of teaching. And I think he can bring a lot to the table because, you know, a lot of us, you know, probably stuck in some antiquated uh, methodologies of teaching, and like immediately half the guys just closed and left the chat. They just didn't want to hear it, right? <laughs> so like, because who the fuck was I, right? And also, we like nobody likes to hear that they're doing something wrong. So you know, very few instructors back in the day would be willing to just cop to, oh, maybe I'm not as good at teaching as I think. Maybe I need to get better as a teacher. Um, nowadays, I think people are a lot more open to that. I think there are quite a few guys that are just, like I know on our website, I'd say about a third of our subscribers are using the, so we have uh, sort of two tiers. We've got the student subscription and we've got the, the pedagogy or the instructor subscription where you have access to our pedagogy section, which is basically all about how to teach. I still think we're the only site with something like that. There might be one or two others that have sprung up that I'm not aware of, but I think we're the only one. Um, and so we're like about 30% of our subscribers use that. We have a lot of club owners that just subscribe to our site and use our teaching methodology, our curriculum, that kind of stuff. So I think people are way more willing to do that nowadays than they were even, you know, three, four years ago, let alone five, eight, ten years ago. So it's not nearly the same 
thing. You're not going to be like the only guy in your area, like, uh, you know, your geographical area, you know, city, state, province, whatever, that's doing it. There will be other people so that, that you can you can network and connect with those people. So I, whereas back in the day, you couldn't. You would just be the only guy and people would close the chat when you tried to talk to them about it. Now you can say, okay, you know, am I, hey, I, I, I subscribe to Defensive BJJ or is there anybody in this area that's doing this stuff? Oh, hey, I subscribe to BJJ Concepts. Is there anybody in this area that follows Rob's methodology? And you can kind of build off of that. So I don't think it's so much of a task. I think you just have to decide to be the kind of instructor that cares more about the the teaching methods than they do about the purely commercial aspect of running a school because I do think that we're still in a phase where you know if you wanted to get the most bang for your buck as far as like how do I devote my resources as a school owner you still in some if not most places will get more return on your investment if you focus on SEO and marketing and like gee sales and like, you know, hucksterish bullshit than you will in just being the best teacher you can be because the average person walking through the door can't tell the difference between good instruction and bad instruction. They don't know that, you know, shrimping and three random techniques is garbage. To them, it all looks the same. Um, But that's changing, right? Like people are getting more and more informed the more educated the um, you know the the market is, the more educated your customers are. The more that's going to matter. I don't think we've hit a tipping point where it's the most important thing yet, but we're exponentially ahead of where we were. You know, like I said, five to ten years ago. So it's it's important. I don't think it's the most important thing for some people, but if you are willing to make it the most important thing, you're you're ahead of the curve because you're going to get to a point where instruction quality of instruction methodology really matters because everyone's going to know what's good and what's bad and when you're the person that's been offering great instruction for five years and everyone else is just catching up they'll never catch up Uh, learning how to be a good teacher developing good teaching skills is such a it's such a process and you've got to keep up with it like I teach so differently now than I did two years ago, let alone five years ago, let alone 10 years ago, because I'm always trying to learn and improve my teaching methodology. So if you just get a head start on everybody, those lazy guys who are only doing it because they want to market their school, they'll never catch you. So I would say, if anything, be motivated by that. Be, you can still be ahead of the curve. And if you're ahead of the curve, those those other guys, will they'll just never catch up. I think that's a really interesting point actually you know it's you have been on the internet for a while with your with your content and there's videos stretching back um several years uh weirdly so I I had a video that came out pretty well about four years ago um which I've been you know milking the shit out of ever since um <laughs> and so uh but people can know me from that one video and they'll ask me questions about it and I'm like well no I don't do that anymore and I'm like oh yeah. That's upsetting. Like, I've only just learned that. I'm like, yeah, but the idea that I'd stay static for four years, I I know I'm a black belt, but I I have that blue belt uh, eye still, as in I, I, I want to be better. And uh, conflating athleticism and sporting prowess of coaching, they're two entirely different things. Like, you know, athletically, I'm probably going downhill. I'm older now. And 
But but how old are you, by the way? I'm 36. Okay. Um, which it's starting to get l- harder. <laughs> Slowly. Yeah, I, I, for me, I was still doing adult divisions at that age, and once I started to get near forty, I started. I was like, "Oh no, it's it's time for the masters divisions." And definitely now that I'm over forty, oh my god, the difference! Yeah, well, I'm I'm, I'm pushing fifty. I'm forty-seven, so I think it's the the poor British genetics, the inbreeding on this <laughs> island has, uh, has set me up to fail. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, Unless so the, you're born into the royal family, and then it sets you up for <laughs> yeah, then you're super fucked for life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's that kind of like it's a, it's the two different languages, and to think that uh, the the way I teach and and what I'm teaching is going to stay stagnant. Like if I can improve uh, X amount as a as a jujitsu practitioner, I can improve X amount as a jujitsu coach, and so. It's one of the reasons why I also find it very hard to release content is that by the time I've said it, it's usually wrong or I know better. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's like, it's a, it's, it's like a photograph. Like I don't look the same anymore. Like don't, don't judge me on how I looked three years ago because yeah. I've changed. Um, uh, like, Oh, you had a beard then? Like, yeah, but I've shaved since. It's the exact same <laughs> idea. Like, yeah. I, Oh, you said this back then. Yeah. Ignore that. Like he, he was an idiot. Like he, he didn't know what he was talking about. Unfortunately, um, yeah. and yeah, it's a, and, and especially, uh, because we are known for our coaching, uh, and it is a, a, definitely a, a, I mean, Preet says it as well when it comes to his defensive BJJ, like you have to keep involved. If you're interested in my work, keep involved with me because it's changing it changes all the time, and the more I do it, the more I understand it, the better I become at it. So, if if you want to to know more about this, like don't just watch what I did three years ago. It's probably out of date. Uh, I know better now. Yep. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. I, I'm so so thankful that you've you've put forward uh, so much of your time this evening. Uh, I mean, for me, my day is starting. Yours is, is oh, not no coming. problem. Like I said, I mean, I you know, I got home and I I had a bowl of yogurt and some fruit because I'm got to make weight for a tournament this weekend, oh. so <laughs> didn't have much of a dinner. But like, I, I'm just hanging out. You're the one that had to wake up at uh, 4:30 in the morning, so this is this is not an imposition on me. It feels like it was an imposition on you. So I really appreciate your time. Not in the slightest. This is I I've I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've enjoyed like being able to. to bounce these ideas off you and and uh it's almost like i'm looking you know i'm i'm looking into the future of where i want to be when it comes to to my coaching and you know you you were definitely a trailblazer uh in regards to all this and the simple fact that you'd even talk to me sirs is made made my month um (laughs) well the the fact that you would say that has made mine so thank you (laughs) um i hope we can do this again in the future uh obviously uh if your schedule allows i know it's uh yeah i I would love to i would just ask that we coordinate it so you don't have to wake up so early because i can (laughs) do this at a variety of times during the day so Uh, i'm i'm very cool by this i'm I'm still maybe young enough to be able to cope with early mornings um like weirdly enough so we have a a a. 6am class uh at my gym like a a. 6am open mat um but i live an hour away from my gym um oh damn and so I have to normally wake up at four thirty if I'm going to do that. Uh, which some days yes, some days no. Um, so it's not 
too out of the ordinary, uh, thankfully. Um, thank you for your time, sir. Uh, good luck in your competition. And uh, what's on the horizon then? What can people kind of expect from you going forward with regards to your, your content? Uh, I mean, we, you know, we, we put out content on bjjconcepts.net uh, or .com. You can actually get there from either uh, web address uh, pretty regularly. I do projects with Stefan quite regularly. We just released um, Cutting Edge Leg Locks, which is the follow-up to Modern Leg Lock Formula, which is definitely one of my bigger projects with Stefan. Uh, more, more, I shouldn't say bigger, more, most successful projects with Stefan. Uh, and that was, you know, to follow up on what we were talking about, like, so much has changed in the leg lock game that uh, the, the you know the material that we put out back in 2016 or 2017 really needed to be updated. So uh, we did that. Uh, we'll be doing an instructional pretty soon on basically like gamification and how how to systemize gamification for people. Uh, we haven't filmed that yet, but that'll be coming out uh, either later this year or early next year. I'm not sure yet. Probably later this year. Um, so yeah, I, that, that people can look out for that. I think that's actually going to be a real, um, I don't want to say game changing instructional because obviously <laughs> you can just subscribe to BJJ Concepts uh, and, and get, uh, you know, you can go into the fuck your jujitsu section and see how we do that. But this, I'm going to try to really coordinate um, like a you know an entire approach to gamification and constraints based training that somebody can use as a as a standalone resource. So I think for the people that We'll be experiencing that for the first time. I think that will be game-changing. Uh, so, yeah, that's something people can look out for. Um, and uh, Oh, and I always try to mention my uh, visiting student program. So some people know about this. Some people don't. Uh, if anyone is interested in training with me at my academy, um, just hit up – either hit me up on Instagram at Island Top Team or just go on islandtopteam.com and send us an email. My manager will pass it on to me. Uh, and just uh, ask about the visiting student program, which is anybody from anywhere in the world, any academy is welcome to come and visit here for free for one week. You get free week of training and a free week of accommodation at my house. Um, people hearing that for the first time is like, what the fuck? It sounds kind of like, uh, you know, I might be a serial killer and I might be, I might have like a bunch of bodies in my backyard. Uh, but I assure you, like hundreds and hundreds of people have come here from all across the world. Uh, and gotten great training and gotten to hang out with me, which is probably not as great, but uh, uh, it's a big house. You don't have to see me if you don't want to. Uh, so yeah, if anybody, as long, you know, don't just show up out of the blue, contact us, make sure that we've got um, you know, space and time available for you. But literally all you have to do is get here. I will pick you up from the airport or the ferry, however you get here, and uh, I'll host you for free for one week. Uh, some people choose to stay longer after that. There are arrangements that can be made for people to stay longer. That's not free, but it's available. Uh, and yeah, it's something that I do just as a like a pay it forward kind of thing. I had a lot of people support me through my uh, training to the point of getting my black belt and opening my school uh, that were very generous with me. And so I try to pay that forward to the community. So if anybody's interested hit up the visiting student program, especially for those that, uh, you know, like my material, like my work, the, um, the experience of learning how to do the, the fuck your jujitsu, the gamification stuff. A lot of people find that very helpful. Even if they have access to my online material or video material, or whatever, 
they still feel like they benefit a tremendous amount from the in-person experience of feeling what it's like to do fuck your jiu-jitsu or the gamification. Uh, and they take that back to their home gym and it's really useful that way. So uh, yeah, if anybody's interested, please hit me up. Perfect. Weirdly enough, uh, so I'm, I'm, my, my, I'm from Globetrotters and it's the exact same thing. Like you always offer one week's worth of free training. And I've always said it as if you've come to my gym uh, and you're not a member, train for free. Like, yep. as long as you want we've just had a guy uh, from Belfast who's been with us for a month and we treat him like family already and he hasn't paid for a single session um, yep. it's yeah pay it forward exactly karma karma is a thing uh, and exactly I wouldn't be where I was without the, the, the kindness of others like yourself and, and, and putting time out for each other and money doesn't have to come into it all the time but it's been you're 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 a good person, sir. Uh, thank you for your time, and I look forward to doing this again. Thank you so much, Ben. Uh, anyone who's interested in, in Rob's work, there'll be uh, links. Uh, if you listen to this uh, on podcasts, I'm not sure if the text always carries across. But if you are listening to this via YouTube, uh, there are going to be links to Rob and his work uh, down in the description below. Uh, and this has been Rob Bernacki. Uh, Thank you, sir. Thank you.